Good morning. Uh, if you came in late, my name is Tom Hart, and I'm a pastor with RUF, uh, which is a partner of this church at Furman University. And so I, I spend my time ministering there. Uh, as you can see, now is the time that children are invited to uh, join the children's ministry at Children's Church. So if you have a child uh, who you would like to participate, they're invited to go now, and you can take them back if you'd like. This morning, uh, I'm going to read a portion of Scripture from Galatians chapter 1, which uh, I'm going to bring to you all this morning because that's what we're studying at Furman. And I love when I come. Y'all are so generous with your prayers and your giving, which keeps me on campus and and, uh, provides for our staff to do ministry on campus. And I like to, when I get to be with you, show you a little bit about what's going on on campus and uh, this is what we're studying when we gather to worship at the chapel uh, on Furman's campus. Every Thursday night, we're, we're studying through the book of Galatians. And so uh, I'm going to read to you a portion from that letter in just a moment. But let me start out with a question. It's a doozy, i got to warn you. All right, the question that I want you to consider this morning before I read the passage is, how do you know if you're good enough? My students on campus get feedback constantly about whether they're good enough. Every week they have quizzes and tests and papers that they take, and it tells them if they're good enough in their classes, uh, which is, if if you've been there, uh, is kind of a terrible way. (laughs) I'm so glad I'm not a student anymore. Uh, But even if you're not a student, that question, it rests on our shoulders. Am I good enough? Am I doing well enough in my job? Am I doing well enough as a mom or a dad? Am I, am I doing enough as a kid? Am I, am I honoring my parents? You might wonder that. Uh, how do you know? What tells you? What are the benchmarks? How can you know if you're good enough? I think that is maybe the deepest question of the human heart, especially when you take it to the ultimate sense. How do I know that at the end of the day, that if someone looks at my life, that it will have mattered, that it will have been worth living, that it was good enough? And what I want us to see as we read uh, this, the opening verses of this book of the Bible, this, Gala- this letter to the Galatians, is that there is a definitive, ironclad way to know that you are good enough. And that's really what this letter is all about. And so uh, keep that in mind as I read to you. I'm going to read from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And let me assure you that what you are about to hear is God's Word. It is absolutely true. And you're going to hear from it this morning. Because God loves us. And He wants us to know Him and enjoy Him. So, listen up. 
Paul, an apostle not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him up from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and they're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. For as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let me pray for us. Lord, we do give you thanks for, uh, for your, your word that you have spoken to us. We give you thanks that you've called us together to hear from you. And that, Lord, while you can speak to us through your word and uh, in our spirit in different ways at different times, that, Lord, you speak in a very particular way when you call your people together to worship you as your body. And I pray, Lord, that this morning you would help us to hear you. That, Lord, whatever souls are weighed down with burdens of guilt, failure, with troubles of many kinds, Lord, I pray that you would lift them up, that you would lift up our eyes to see Jesus who died to save us, to give us life and to give us hope. We pray that we would see him this morning through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. My daughter Reagan is nine years old. She's here. My family's here right over here this morning. And uh, she went to summer camp this summer for the first time, Camp Ridge Haven. I think there might be some other Ridge Haven people in here. And uh, she had an awesome time. And when she came back from camp, she brought back with her a gaggle of pen pals. And Reagan loves to go to the mailbox, especially when she's expecting a letter. Go, she has to cross the street, which she does very carefully. Open the mailbox and get out all the mail and look through it to see if she got a letter. And if she's got a letter from a pen pal, she will sprint back across the street, run into her room, close the door, open that thing up, glitter flying, stickers sticking to everything, read it, soak it in, and within 10 to 15 minutes have a letter back to her pen pal, written, addressed, stamped, decorated, and back in the mailbox with the flag up. She loves it. It's, it's amazing. 
And um, what I want you to, one thing I want you to get about the passage that I just read to you is that, you know, it, in some ways it's our Sunday morning scripture passage, but it's also a letter. What we have and what we're going to read through and think through this morning is a letter. It was written 2,000 years ago. But I mean, I like to think, I don't, I, I've been meaning to look up like how the mail system worked in the Roman Empire. I don't know. I don't think they had mailboxes. But I like to think that this, these people, this, this group that is addressed, the, the churches of Galatia, ran to some sort of mail carrier and received this letter. And they tore it open and consumed it couldn't wait to find out what this message was from their old friend, the Apostle Paul. And what I want to give to you this morning is that the theme, the thing that this letter was about, you see it in this passage, and it just comes up over and over again on repeat as you read the whole letter. The thing that this letter is about is the gospel. Now, if you've been around church for very long, you've probably heard that word. We use it in the church a lot. It's, it's used in the Bible a lot. It's used in the passage that I just read to you four times. And so, as we unpack what I just read, uh, that's what I want us to see is, what is this gospel all about? What is this, what is this message? And uh, i got three points for you if you're a note taker. What the gospel is what the gospel isn't, and why the gospel matters. All right, so let's dig into that. That's what I want us to see in the text. So first, what the gospel is. And we can see several things about what the gospel is uh, in this passage. Uh, The first thing I want us to see is that the gospel is a message. The gospel is a message. You see that from the beginning uh, when Paul starts this letter, Paul, this, this pastor wrote, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. An apostle is someone who is sent with a message. Now, that term was applied to not only Jesus' followers, it was applied in, to other cases uh, during the time that this letter was written. But Christians use that, that word in a very particular way. The apostles of Jesus were people who Jesus himself sent out into the world to declare the message of the gospel. It was good news. Good news that was sent out. So the gospel is a message. The second thing I want us to see is that the gospel uh, is old. It's it's not a new message. It's an old message. Uh, You see that in the passage when when Paul refers to this in verse 8. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. The message of the gospel is the same. It doesn't change. He, he reinforces that in verse 9. He says, uh, now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received. This, these people had already received this message. It's the same gospel. It doesn't change. I mean, he, he emphasized that 
in verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And he interrupts himself. Paul, as a writer, loved to interrupt himself. And he did. And he said, not that there is another one. There is no other one. There's only one. And it stays the same. So it's a message, it's an unchanging old message. And the last thing I want us to see is about the gospel is that it's, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. That is its content. Verse 4 hammers that home for us. Let's start in verse 3. He said, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us From the present evil age, the gospel is about Jesus' work to forgive our sins. We've already talked about that this morning. Jesus came to forgive our sins and to deliver us, to save us. I think it's easy for us who are around the church, for religious people... To think of the gospel as being something that's supposed to help us. Something that's supposed to give us a little boost. A little Sunday morning pick-me-up. That maybe Jesus came to teach us something. To to help us to become the best version of ourselves. But that is not primarily what the gospel is about. The gospel is about deliverance. It is about being saved. By the work of Jesus. There was a Florida man driving through a neighborhood in Orlando in a minivan. And uh, the article that I read about this wasn't, wasn't so clear about what, what exactly happened, but he drove off the road and accelerated over the sidewalk through a yard and smashed into someone's living room, right into the side of the house. And uh, again, I don't know if he had a, a medical kind of emergency while he was driving or if it was the actual crash, but when he hit that house, he was dead. And amazingly, we you might say providentially in God's providence, the person whose house was hit was a woman named Carmen Roman. And she heard... The car smashed into her house. And after she kind of regained her wits and realized that a car had just driven driven into her living room, she ran to see what was going on, and she saw this man behind the steering wheel slumped over. And her instincts kicked in. She was a registered nurse. She checked his breathing. No breathing. She checked his pulse. No pulse. She pulled him out of the vehicle, onto the ground, onto his back, and started to do chest compressions. And she said after 30 compressions, he started a cough. And he came back to life. I mean, really, what are the odds? (laughs) The gospel tells us That we have run into the house and are dead, spiritually speaking. But the good news of it 
is that the, the house that we ran into belongs to Jesus and he is coming to save us, to restore our life, to keep us from dying forever. The gospel is that Jesus came to forgive our sins and to save us. So what is, that's what the gospel is. It's a message about Jesus' salvation. What isn't the gospel? And this is, it might sound funny, but this is one of the main themes of the book as well. What isn't the gospel? Because you see, the reason that Paul, this apostle, wrote this letter to these churches was because someone had come into these churches and was teaching them that yes, the gospel is about Jesus saving people. But that's the first part of the gospel. The second part of the gospel is that if you really want to please God and be acceptable to God and you really want to be alive to God, then not only do you need to believe in Jesus and, and trust in Him and, and all of that, but you also need to become Jewish. You needed to take on the signs of Jewish ethnicity and you need to live out the laws that are written in the Old Testament about how Jewish people are supposed to live, what they eat, what they wear, how they cut their hair. That if you really want to be connected to God, you need Jesus and you need to obey all of the laws of the Old Testament. And what Paul says in this letter over and over and over again is that if you add anything to Jesus, it completely wipes out the gospel. Completely wipes it out. It's sneaky. I mean, listen again in verse... Six and seven. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. This theme is developed throughout this letter. These people were coming and saying, You have to become Jewish in order to please God, and that wipes it out. There's some things that you can mix and some things you can't mix. Think about it like this. I, I heard this from a friend of mine, a guy in my, uh, well, we call them community groups. Every church calls those little things something different. You ever notice that? Y'all call them neighborhood groups? Anyway, a guy in my community group, uh, he said, uh, if, if you take a gallon of gasoline, and you go and get a little, a little dropper, like a little dropper that you would use to put some medicine in your ear. And you soak up some milk, and you drop that milk into the gallon of gasoline. You could then take that gallon of gasoline and pour it into your lawnmower and crank that puppy up and mow the whole thing. And your lawnmower would not even notice. It would be fine. But if you take a gallon of milk, and you get that little dropper and you soak up 
a dropper full of gasoline and squirt it into the milk, that milk is valueless. It's going to smell like gas. It's going to taste like gas. It completely wipes it out. You're not going to drink it. If you add, Paul is emphatic about this. I mean, he has worked up about this. If you try to add anything to the saving work of Jesus, and you're trying to get delivered by anything other than what Jesus has done for you, then you are completely undermining the gospel. You can't do it. You can't add to what Jesus has done. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus your experience, your mountaintop feeling that you had on a retreat, if you're counting on the mountaintop experience to be your salvation... The gospel won't work. It does, that's not what saves you. Jesus plus your behavior, your ability to live out even Christian good ethics and virtues cannot save you. If you are relying on them, they invalidate the gospel for you. Only Jesus can make you good enough. One of my friends who is an RUF campus minister had a student uh, and the student came to, him, came to the campus minister. He was very sad. And the student said, Yeah, I just, I just, I'm so upset because I know that God is disappointed in me. And my friend said, Why is God disappointed in you? And the student said, I'm just not sharing my faith with, any of, with anybody, with any of my friends, with anybody on campus, anybody in my classes. I know God desires for me to do evangelism, to be a person who shares his faith, and I'm just not doing it, and I'm scared to do it, and I just feel that God is not pleased with me. And my friend looked at that student and said, oh, I have great news for you. If you don't share your faith with anybody ever, and you put your faith in Jesus, then God fully and eternally loves you. And his, his delight in you is full. And it, his delight in you is not diminished at all by your lack of sharing your faith. And the student said, really? And the campus minister said, yes. And the campus minister reports that over the next several weeks new students started coming to RUF. And he would ask them why they had come. And they said, oh, that guy invited me. The guy who had been so afraid to share his faith. Once he found out that God's love for him was completely independent of his performance, he could not wait to go to his classes and to his roommates and to the people that he knew, and tell them about this amazing God. The gospel isn't Jesus plus anything. God's love for us depends only on Jesus' work for us. Why does this matter? 
Why is this important? Which is always a good question to ask. I encourage my students to ask that question all the time. Why does this matter? And I think it matters for a lot of reasons. One that jumps off the page for me in this passage is that we constantly believe things other than the gospel. Verse 6 again. Paul wrote, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. That's God. Who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Different gospels are out there. You hear them all the time. You look for them. I look for them. We put our trust in things other than Jesus all the time. There's a study that came out a few years ago uh, by a communications professor who uh, determined that when left to yourself, your inner talk, your self-talk, your inner dialogue or monologue consists of 4,000 words per minute. You ever notice that? That when you're not, you know, engaged in your phone or, uh, or something else, when you're kind of driving in the car or whatever and your thoughts are going, that there are a lot of words. There are a lot of messages going on inside of you. 4,000 words is about as many words as you're going to hear in a Sunday morning sermon. So I heard a pastor say, you got to understand that you preach one sermon per minute to yourself and you are a terrible preacher. Because you think about the messages that you hear in your self-talk. And some of them are good. Some of them are helpful. But often the theme has to do with that lingering question of, am I good enough? Have I done enough? Do the people in my life, the people that I just interacted with, do they like me? Am I performing well enough for my bosses to recognize my value and to keep me employed or give me a raise? Am I good like that student? Am I performing well enough in sharing my faith or doing my devotional uh, every morning? Am I performing well enough that God is going to approve of me? Am I good enough? That is what we're wondering all the time. You're hearing all kinds of messages in your mind. And the gospel is the antidote to your terrible self-preaching. You need to hear the gospel. I'm so glad that at least once you've come to this church, I hope that you will come back because this church is a place where you will hear the gospel. You're going to be reminded here every week at least once, actually a bunch of times if you come on a Sunday morning, that you are good enough. 
because of the work of Jesus on your behalf. That he has fully and finally answered that question for you. And that you are connected to him so vitally by faith. That you share a union with him. So much so that Paul later on in this very letter would write in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The gospel reminds us over and over again that our performance does not determine our value, that Jesus' performance on our behalf is what delivers us and names us and identifies us before God. Tim Keller, who died this year, great pastor, uh, is famous for saying, and you've probably heard Jonathan say it, I would guess, but it's just, it's worth hearing, and I would invite you to let this ring in your ears and in your heart. Cheer up, because you are far worse than you have yet imagined. But, in Christ, if you've believed in Him. You are far more loved and accepted and affirmed than you have yet dared to dream. This is the gospel. This is your antidote to the messages you hear in your own mind. Yes, I have failed. And yes, Jesus is enough for me. That's good news. Let me, let me pray for us and then we'll transition to the table. Lord, we do give you thanks for this message. And uh, Lord, we pray that we would hear it with fresh ears this morning. I pray that now as we come to your table that you would prepare us to receive the gospel not only through hearing but also through tasting and eating and sharing in this meal together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.